Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. Public understanding of concussion risks has improved significantly in recent years, due in large part to increased media attention about head injuries in football. But while many Americans now know to take concussion symptoms seriously, most probably don't know what to expect when it comes to concussion treatment and management. Screening and treatment best practices for concussion are still evolving, and important research is ongoing. But this much is certain, Treating concussions today is typically a collaborative effort involving professionals from across healthcare. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, physical therapist Jessica Schwartz, who has also been on the patient side of the concussion experience, shares what you need to know about concussions and how treatment is evolving. Here's our conversation with Jessica Schwartz. Jessica, over the past decade or so, there's really been increased attention about concussions uh, particularly as it relates to the sport of football. That's where it's coming up in the media all the time. At the same time, uh, the experience of some American soldiers in the theater of war overseas has raised attention about traumatic brain injuries. So let's just start right there. Concussions, traumatic brain injuries, what's the difference between those two? Where Where's the line drawn? You know, Jason, that's an awesome question, and I get asked that all the time. And it's actually kind of an unknown um, to most folks in the public that concussion and mild traumatic brain injury are actually synonymous in terms of definition. And that's as of today in 2017. What folks don't realize most often is that concussion is a brain injury, period, end of story. And, you know, that's why we take them seriously in the medical community these days. Uh, we've kind of moved on from, and, and this goes from your, your local physician and physio to, um, you know, folks in the media uh, like yourself. But we've been using languages like bell wrong and things like that. Um, I got dinged, and we didn't really take these injuries seriously until probably the last five to ten years. We've really made some wonderful strides in uh, where research is going and how we're caring for the patient of today. So you said that right now the definition is basically the same, and, and on the one hand, I get the underlying concept. As you said, it's a, it's a brain injury period and a story. On the other hand, should the definition be the same, or, or is that something that needs to change? That's a great question, and that's quite frankly, where a lot of the research of today is actually leading towards. So today there's actually over 43 working definitions, and I say that again because I think it's important. There's over 43 working definitions of concussion, and only one of them is evidence-based. And so, you know, as clinicians, as doctors of physical therapy, you know, we talk about that in the research world with our physician colleagues and everyone in between, and that's really quite a a place of contention um, in the research world. So we're really not sure where that's going to be going, but I can say there we're kind of split down the line, the middle here of some folks want to have concussion as its own definition, and some folks want to have um, the definition melded in with the, the traumatic brain injury uh, categories, which are often rated as mild, moderate, and severe. But in our world of concussion, for folks that treat it and research it, we really say that there's nothing mild about concussion. So in terms of terminology and definition, we're looking to kind of update that. But right now, we we still have quite a bit to go there. 
So it's interesting you say there's there's nothing mild about concussion, but you also brought up that concept earlier of football players, for example, uh, saying for, that they had their bell rung, and, and usually when that comes up, the idea is always like, well, I, I didn't have a concussion, I, I had this, I, my, it was just my bell was rung, whatever exactly that, that means to them. So So based on that, how severe does something have to be to be considered a concussion? What's the kind of that minimum baseline requirement? You know, and that's a great question. And from the public's point of view, it's really been a cultural change, a cultural shift, especially in the last five or ten years with a lot of this getting pressed. And so essentially what we say is, you know, this culture change, we're moving away from using terminology like I got my bell rung and things like that, you know, to using words like concussion and educating folks everywhere from the coach to the player to the parent and clinicians and everyone in between. Um, that includes communities as well. So with that being said, you really only need one one marker, one uh, symptom, essentially, to theoretically get diagnosed with a concussion. So most folks don't realize that, you know, if we have, you know, football players or athletes or folks that have been working on a line for decades and years, you know, they fell or they hit their head and they saw stars. Well, technically, that's actually a concussion by today's terminology. So, you know, anything from headaches to fogginess to dizziness, after any kind of mechanism of injury is the language that we use as clinicians, but, you know, any kind of mechanism. You know, you fell, and oftentimes folks, you know, fall on their butt. That force actually reverberates up your spine uh, to your head, and you often get dizziness or headaches. That actually is quantified as a concussion. So, you know, I make it really clear, because folks are always looking for that pill or that test or that picture, but, you know, as a clinical diagnosis only, there is no single test that can diagnose a concussion, and there is no test out there that outperforms a good clinician, and that good clinician has to be trained in, in concussion post-professionally. And so, you know, you mentioned in your answer, but just to make this absolutely clear then, since we're talking about an evolving understanding, you do not have to be knocked out cold to have a concussion. Yes, sir. So uh, less than 10% of concussions actually involve loss of consciousness. So that means if you flip that around in the positive, that means more than 90% of folks that get a concussion are conscious. They're awake. Uh, they're aware of what's going on. So that's something that's huge and often a misnomer. So you mentioned, you know, in the past five to ten years especially, there's just been this increased focus. What's been the result of that? Attitudes are shifting about concussions, but in terms of the treatment, how is treatment for concussion changing? Well, in terms of attitudes, and then I'll talk about treatment, um, I know I think we're really having a trickle-down effect. So, you know, most folks, especially if we're, if we're talking about the NFL and things like that, there are about 2,000 NFL players in this world. Um, that's the National Football League. You know, we just had the Super Bowl not too long ago. And then, you know, we have about 100,000 NCAA, so college football from D1 to D3 athletes. And that's actually, quite frankly, where most of the, the research is being done. So if we think about that being, you know, just a few percent of the population, we're looking at over 3.5 million uh, high school and youth football players, and those are just talking football numbers. In fact, the majority of traumatic brain injuries and concussions occur due to fall. So most folks don't realize that. And what we just uh, learned last year, actually, in the United States, and also this does apply to Europe as well, that amateur horseback riding is actually the number one sport with concussion prevalence present, not football. So when we think about that, you know, we look at falls, which people can connect to greatly, and then we think about uh, amateur horseback riding. Most folks don't realize that that's where, where concussions are most prevalent um, of today. 
And so then how is that treatment changing in terms of, you know, 10 years ago, somebody who had a concussion would probably experience what, and today, what might they experience instead? Well, and and I say this uh, from a very humble place. Most folks today are quite often, and this is an unfortunate statement that I'll be saying, are actually mismanaged with concussion. And I often compare concussion and cancer, and I think it's a really good place to to, to uh, compare because folks can often equate um, or have a story about uh, someone who either had cancer in their family, they knew someone, or they had it themselves. But we can all, when we all think of cancer, we think of there's one portal, there's one entry for a cancer patient, right? And I say, you know, where would you go if you, you know, knew someone who was diagnosed with cancer? And, and everyone says the cancer doctor, the oncologist. Well, with concussion, we actually have infinite portals of entry of care for concussion. So there's no standardization of how folks are treated once they have a concussion. And many folks are actually not diagnosed with concussion because they often think it's a mild injury or it doesn't warrant notifying a clinician. And most folks often seek out help one to two weeks after they get a concussion because they're just, quote, unquote, not feeling better. So what we've done in the last five to ten years is, and we're really still on the, the ground floor, ground level here, Jason, but what we've done is we're starting to look at this as concussion is completely a rehabilitative injury, which is why physical therapists are wonderful clinicians to lead the way um, in terms of caring for this injury. So we're, we're looking at, you know, breaking down concussion into parts, no different than we do with cancer. You know, we have non-Hodgkin large cell lymphoma when we talk about cancer. We don't, we don't just diagnose cancer. And we're looking to, we're not there yet, and that's really important to know, but we're, we're, we're looking to uh, breaking down concussive injuries and seeing, you know, do folks, are they more dizzy? Do they have a vestibular issue? Are, do they have post-traumatic headaches? Uh, are there ocular motor issues? You know, more than 50% of the brain's pathways, Jason, are devoted to vision. And that's huge, and most folks don't realize that. So a, a good chunk of folks that have a concussion are actually have ocular motor issues. And these are where patients don't know how to quantify or subjectively state the what and how they're feeling. And then you also look at anxiety and mood and sleep disorders and things like that. So we're looking to breaking down concussion. Um, and you, when you're looking for a clinician, you really want someone who's been working with these patients quite a bit. So it's interesting, you know, you talked about at the start of this that we don't even really have one uh, definition that is all that helpful in terms of sort of distinguishing, um, you know, let's say one severity of of concussion from another, one flavor, if you will, of concussion from another. Um, Is that diagnosis one of the biggest barriers right now, or or what are the other barriers that are really jumping out in front to you that prevent that sort of improved care that that you aspire to to see for, for the patients? So in terms of barriers, I think that number one, quite frankly, is, well, I'll, I'll make it a number one and number 1.1. 1. 1. Um, I think are going to be the access to care. You want to make sure that whoever you're seeking out, whether it be an emergency department physician or an urgent care or your primary care doc, uh, your direct access physical therapist, you just want to make sure that they have training in working with concussion patients. And I say this, and it's really important because education is the number one thing that I, I speak about and I work with you know, into the present day. So what we know is that 2015, you know, when you have a brain injury, folks, you know, I often ask folks uh, to get them involved. I'm like, you know, hey, Jason, when you have a brain injury, what kind of doctor would you want to see? What kind of physician? What do you think, Jason? Yeah, I have no idea. So most folks will say a brain doctor, right? So a neurologist, so a brain physician. 
and, and, you know, I'm all about building folks up, but 2015 was actually the first formal year that neurology residencies in, uh, incorporated concussion training into their residencies. So this is all new for everybody, and concussion training is really solely a post-professional training. You know, you've got to be really passionate about wanting to learn about this and uh, learn how to treat this. So that's one thing is the education and the access to um, the right provider first, which will save a lot of energy. The issue, though, is that we're looking at talking about concussion as like a disorientation, um, and this is like a new hypothesis that just came out of the UCLA uh, Department of Defense NCAA Concussion Conference last Friday in Los Angeles at UCLA. But we're, we're looking at, you know, thinking about this in, in different terms of a disorientation disorder. So you have to think when you have a concussion, everything gets harder. You know, your processing uh, takes longer and so on and so forth. So, you, you know, you want to make sure that you have good friends and family to help you get to the right clinician because uh, most folks don't have something, you know, set up for them before they get injured. Most people don't think they're, they are going to get injured. You want to make sure you have, you know, a good support group to, to make sure that, you know, you can get to the right doctor first, the right clinician first. So to help people do that, I mean, you know, like you said, it, it, it would be a, an easy, logical jump to say, hey, my neurologist is the perfect person for this, or maybe they think an athletic trainer or physical therapist because they know so many athletes get these conditions. What are the what are the questions? I, if I'm a patient and I have these concussion systems and I go to whatever healthcare professional I see, what should I be asking to sort of get a sense of that person's experience with treating concussion? Louis Gifford is a pain clinician, and he looks at pain for his for his wife. So I've actually started correlating, you know, folks that are in chronic pain, and with Dr. Adrian Lowe, who's a, a physio and a PhD, who talks about uh, therapeutic neuroscience education. And you know, he was speaking in one of his conferences, and I, and I took this right from him, and I, I give him all the credit for it. But there's five questions every patient wants to know, and us as providers need to be able to answer these questions for patients. But I think as patients and as, as folks who are, you know, shopping in the healthcare industry, because this is really what it is, you have to shop for the best clinician these days, in the, in the United States at least. And there are five questions that every patient wants to know. The first question is, what is wrong with me? And we don't do a great job historically answering these questions for folks with concussions. Um, but we're doing much better, and folks that are clinically trained in this do a really good job here. How long will it take is the second question. And, you know, there's a lot of gray. There are things that you can bring to the table as a patient that are very helpful to your clinician, like a past medical history. Are there any yellow and red flag factors that may be present? For example, if you're a parent with a child or an adult yourself, you know, thinking about is there any history of learning disabilities, ADHD? Um, are there any mood or depressive disorders before the time of injury? Um, and were there any kind of funky ocular motor thing. So a lot of folks are like, oh, yeah, I had, a, I had some weird glasses when I was a kid. And that's so important to bring to your clinician because it helps us do the neurological and orthopedic examinations that are so very important for this injury. And that will help us answer that question, how long will it take, um, and at least guide you with some general, general ideas there. The third question is, what can I, the patient, do for it? You know, so what can I, the patient, you know, do for my environment and stress levels and things like that? And then what can you, the healthcare provider, do for it? So basically that's what you're asking the clinician, what can you do for me? And then it's a really important question for today that Dr. Lowe adds, and how much does it cost? Because we have to know, you know, oftentimes with these folks that hang around at 20 to 30% that have persistent symptoms after a concussion, so we're talking about, 
months to years, Jason. Um, so that's not the majority, but, you know, we have to make sure that we take this into account for our patients. So I think those are five questions. What's wrong with me? How long will it take? What can I, the patient, do for it? What can you, the provider, do for it? And how, does it, how much does this cost? I think those are all really good questions when going into any provider. Is it a fair question or, or is it superfluous, really, to even follow up with sort of, do you think you've treated patients with con- symptoms like mine? I mean, or, or should people assume at this point that, that most people have? Well, what I like to do is I like to take the, the brain and the head out of all of my examples. So, you know, if folks are, my grandmother just had a, a, a total knee replacement, and, you know, she asked the surgeon, she, how many of these are you doing a year? And I think that's a really good question to ask any provider for whatever you're, you're, getting, you're seeking counsel for. Because, you know, it's, it's a great responsibility as a doctor of physical therapy. You know, we know that you are entrusting your care uh, in my hands and, quite frankly, my brain, my knowledge base, right? So, you know, I think those are all fair questions. And you want someone that's doing this, you know, 100 times per year, if not thousands. So I think that's a fair question. And, you know, if your provider ever gets a little uncomfortable or it doesn't answer the question right, it's okay to go to another provider. Um, there's nothing wrong with that because, again, you have one time to heal. So you want to make sure that you feel like you're in the best hands possible. You mentioned earlier how a lot of people who, who come in for concussion-related issues, it's, it's been a few weeks since the incident, sort of the symptoms mm-hmm. have not gone away. Um, when a person, let's say a person has a fall, they, let's say they do hit their head, let's say they, they know they felt a little bit dazed or dizzy or something like that, but they more or less feel, you know, relatively okay the next day. Uh, what I want to attack with, with that example is, are those immediate feelings, the, the tw- next 24 hours, 48 hours, is that a good indicator of how severe or not the brain injury is, or can those initial 24 to 48 hours be potentially misleading? So that's a great question with in terms of severity. So what we stopped doing in 2008, okay, so close to 10 years ago, close to a decade ago, but most folks don't realize this, is we do not, and I repeat this, we do not grade severity of concussion at the time of injury or within the first 48 hours. So be specific to your question. So we can only grade severity of a concussion, which we really don't do anymore, until after we know what's going on with the injury. Something with a concussion, what we say in medical terminology, it's that this is a transient injury often. So what that means is that folks that get an injury, now this can be a quote-unquote sub-concussive blow. So just to use sports, uh, we can talk about a check on hockey or, you know, banging in the boards for basketball or getting hit not in the head on a football field. Or, for example, like a whiplash-associated disorder from a car accident, just for an example. So what we find is that we often don't see symptoms manifest fully from hours until days. So you really can kind of get a general sense of what's going on with somebody, usually within the first week to two weeks, to kind of see what, you know, what's kind of going on with this patient, which is why we don't have folks return to driving and return to learn and return to sport uh, within that time frame. And, that, and that's for the civilian all the way up to um, our Army men and women, our service members. So if I suffer a concussion, however mild or severe, it, does that change the likelihood for the next time I get bumped that I may experience a concussion? Is, is there is sort of a, a snowballing effect there? Absolutely. So we call that a threshold. So what we find is that folks' thresholds for injury, so let's just use nice even round numbers. So if somebody gets hit with 100 pounds of force 
and they sustain their first concussion in September, right? And then it takes them seven to ten days to recover from that concussion. And then the following September, a year later, they get a concussion with 80 pounds of force, but it takes them three months to recover from that. And then, you know, the list kind of goes on. So what we find is that folks often get a decreased threshold for forces with a positive concussion finding, you know, just from a, from a, just a global standpoint right there. So, yes, that's absolutely true. And what we also see is there are up to an 80% increase within the first two weeks of getting a second concussion, uh, which is a, a very bad thing in such a short amount of time. And also we see lower extremity injuries as well. So things like ACL injuries and ankle sprains, we actually see those go up as well within the first two weeks after concussion as well. So you really want to make sure you're in the right hands from a rehabilitative professional, from a physical therapist to an ATC, and everything in between, depending on what um, your needs are functionally, whether it be on the line as a worker or an NFL football player. So what's the the theory on the correlation between, say, a knee injury, an ACL injury, and a concussion? Is it is it that I'm I'm not my instincts aren't working correctly? Why, why would that happen? Okay, so another great question. Let's break this down actually in a different way. What we'll think about is a concussion in six different clinical trajectories. So if we can, you know, put six cups on the table, one of them is going to be vestibular, so dizziness. One of them is going to be for your eyes, ocular. One of them is going to be cognitive. One of them is going to be post-traumatic headache or migraine. Uh, one of them is going to be anxiety and mood. And one of them is going to be the neck, the cervical spine. So here's why I say that concussion is a multidisciplinary injury. We don't just treat the, the dizziness. We don't just treat the migraine. You have to look at the patient as a whole person, a whole entity, right? And that includes their biopsychosocial, what their financial situation is like. Are, they, are these folks in the process of potentially losing a job from this injury or a scholarship, uh, unable to take care of their kids because of this injury? So if we look at one of those six trajectories being cognitive, right? So we're made of electrical impulses, right? Where, you know, our heart is, you know, we people can often, you know, think back to it watching ER back in the 90s, I don't know if I'm dating myself there, but, uh, you know, it's clear when somebody uses a defibrillator on the heart. We're made of electricity, and the brain is no different. So if you can kind of think of taking salt water to an electrical circuit, that's essentially what happens with a concussive injury, is that we get jarred, we get jolted, and our, and our axons shear and stretch, and they essentially become shorted out for a certain period of time. Now, Jason, we don't know the answer to that for every individual patient. I can get hit with 100 Gs of force. You can get hit with 100 Gs of force. You can be completely fine, walk away unscathed, and I could be symptomatic for three to six months. But what we do know, the cognitive component of that, our folks take a little longer to do things, so our reaction time. So if you think about the lower extremity injuries, those ankle sprains, those ACL injuries post-concussion, we're seeing them with a high frequency um, after injury. And what we're thinking and we're hypothesizing is that folks just take a half a second to a second too long to react to certain things that they didn't before. And especially as we get more and more elite, we're seeing, you know, we have, we think back to Michael Phelps uh, and the Olympics, you know, we're thinking of hundredths and tenths of a second. So you really have to be at the top of your game once you get back onto that field. Um, and often folks post-concussion, um, clinically, they assume and they feel fine, but they may not be, and that's why you want a skilled provider to look after you and get you back to return to learn, return to sport, or return to life. 
You mentioned a couple of these along the way, but I want to make sure we hit them really specifically. Let's talk about warning signs when, when you're mentioning that sometimes it, there's a two to one to two week window really to, to know what the, the effects of the concussion were. You know, if I'm a parent, uh, what should I be looking for when, when my kid comes home from school and, and says he's dizzy or, you know, she doesn't quite feel right? I mean, what, what should I be on the lookout for that maybe there's a concussion involved? Absolutely. I love free stuff, Jason. I think free stuff is great. People and folks are working really hard out there to do that. So if you actually Google, and this is for our listeners, if you simply Google red flags concussion, the first thing that pops up on Google is the pocket concussion recognition tool. And I'll say that again, the pocket concussion recognition tool. And in 2017, we actually may get an update on this um, because we just had our consensus statement. But the 2013 version is pretty darn good. And you can actually look up red flags there. So it's something that parents, coaches, uh, school districts, can, and it's meant for not the medical provider. This is meant for the referee, the non-medical human. So we really like to use simple terminology. So recognize and remove. So any kind of red flag. So red flags would be something that I need to go to an emergency department for. I need to go see my physician for would be the athlete complains of neck pain, uh, increasing confusion or irritability. And this is beyond, if you've got a high school kid, this is beyond the normal uh, hormonal time, you know, teenage pubescent uh, mood swings. Repeated vomiting, a seizure or convulsion, weakness or tingling in arms or legs, deteriorating conscious state, severe increasing headache. So I'm talking like the worst headache they've ever had unusual behavior change, or double vision. And sometimes you hear that called diplopia. So those are red flags. And what those mean are you immediately need to get to an emergency department. Um, and that's 100% without question. And then there's other signs, which we kind of call like a yellow. So we, we don't, you know, immediately halt everything, but we slow things down. We, we remove them from play or from work or from the line, so on and so forth. And, you know, those are a myriad of things. And that really ranges from anything from headaches to dizziness, confusion, feeling slowed down, pressure in the head is something we see often, uh, blurred vision. You often hear of folks actually not being able to see for a certain amount of time from seconds to minutes, uh, and that's actually something common that we see for folks that treat this. Loss of consciousness, we know that's less than 10%, but that is indicative of concussion. Fatigue, slow energy, sadness, irritability, being more emotional, and don't feel right. We have to remember that we don't have the language to express the what and how we feel when we have a concussion, Jason. Um, and I know this, and that's my own quote from when I was injured. I was injured in 2013 and went through about a year of rehab myself. So um, it's really important to connect to as a provider because your patients just may not be able to express what's going on with them. But, yeah, I, I do recommend that. The pocket concussion recognition tool, we call it the CRT. Uh, it's nice to have on file if you have kids or if you – uh, or in any kind of sport league and things like that. So let's get out of here on this. You know, you're you're clearly passionate about this topic, both from a healthcare perspective and, as you referred to, as somebody who's who's dealt with these symptoms yourself. Um, of all the things that's evolving, of all the things that you know, the questions that still need answers and things of that nature. If if today you could change one thing about way the way the healthcare system is approaching concussion or the way the public is approaching concussion right now, what would you change that would have the greatest greatest impact? Ooh, that's gonna that's gonna make me think for sure. What would one thing be that I could change? 
Well, the interest 100% has to be cross-disciplinary communication with each other. So from the physio to the, you know, the physical therapist in the States to the neurologist to the PM&R physician to the primary care to the pediatrician to the neuropsychologist, the occupational therapist and the athletic trainer, the psychologist, for everyone in between, we really have to be working together uh, with this diagnosis because I need to understand as a clinician what's in my wheelhouse. And as a physio, four of those six clinical trajectories are really in my wheelhouse. And often if you treat the vestibular or the ocular motor or the cervical spine or the headache, oftentimes the anxiety, the mood, and the cognitive stuff clears up as well because they get out of that fog. So really, you know, what can I, the physio, do for our mutual concussion patient? What can you, the physician or, or other clinician, do for this, our patient? And how can we work together mutually? Uh, and I would love to see those conversations happening more and more uh, because our patients are just going to benefit, you know, world from that collaborative model and, and approach. Jessica Schwartz, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Jason, and uh, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com slash radio.